0: Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member supported nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainfarmlandtrust.org.
1: Just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Common Ground Radio with your host CJ Walk is up next.
0: Good morning and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour long discussion of local food and agriculture here in the state of Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is CJ Walk and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show airing on the first Friday of every month at 10 a.m. right here on WERU. So for today's show, we are broadcasting the keynote address from OFCA's 2018 Farmer to Farmer Conference, presented and recorded on November 5th, 2018 at the Point Lookout Conference Center in Northport, Maine. The keynote speakers are Paul and Sandy Arnold of Pleasant Valley Farm in Argyle, New York, the address focuses on how their farm has evolved over the past 30 years, how their extended family has played a crucial role, and how they plan to move the farm into the future. So here are Paul and Sandy Arnold giving the keynote address they titled Best Job on Earth.
2: Good morning, everybody. We're uh, honored to be invited here to do the keynote today and be back here at MAFCA. We have been at this conference several times over the couple of decades and uh, this is one of our favorite conferences. Um, I love Maine. I did grow up part-time in Maine and uh, so it's really uh, it's really great to be here. Okay, so our presentation today, we're really nuts and bolts farmers so it's hard for us not to give a lot of numbers and all that stuff but uh, we wanted to talk about uh, why we love being farmers and what's inspired us to be farmers and stay farmers for all these years. We have been farming for 30 years. And we're going to first review a little bit about where we're at today and how we got there. So we're going to kind of throw this very fast-forward 30-year uh, scenario of how our farm uh, built up from just land. And uh, then we're going to talk about all the great things that we love about farming and in our life and um, the joys that it's, that it's brought us.
1: So our production at this point has, you know, has, you know had peaks and valleys of, of starting at one acre and now we we got up to as many as seven and now we're down to four. But we also have done uh, some apples in a half an acre of pears and then uh, small fruits, quarter acre of uh, strawberries and blueberries is our main ones. And then it's just a little bit of cover crops. So of all that acreage, there actually is only a small amount that's actually good for vegetable production and we are certified nationally grown uh, at this point, we choose the organic methods, but we, we just choose to, to say where we're at because we, we know our marketing. Our marketing is basically three local weekly farmer's markets uh, during the summer, on the one on Wednesday, Ads during the summer. The two on Saturday are year round. So we're basically picking and harvesting and selling 52 weeks a year. That is, uh, we'll get into that a little later, but that's really made a big change in our farm and what we're able to do. The actual uh, marketing like wholesale and restaurant, that number goes up and down depending on a restaurant closing or not, but mostly our sales are dependent on the farmers markets at this point. So we're gonna talk about how we started up and got going because you know we were, we're all we all start somewhere, but this is a, a little bit of a story of, of how we got going, so it made a difference of, of why we're farming and, and what we've gotten out of this. So where did we come from? I came from suburbia, grew up a family of four kids, four, four brothers, and I'm parent, my father worked, my mother stayed home with us, and that's how I grew up, but during the summer, my father would call up his uh, uncle, and who had a dairy farm, and say, "Okay, when's the hay coming in?" I got four boys at work, and we would go up there for a weekend. And that is probably the biggest thing that I remember of my childhood is going up for one weekend every year to help at that farm. And that really started the seed of thinking about farming. But growing up in the '70s, uh, the last thing you wanted to become was a farmer. Everybody was moving away from that, and uh, Earl Butts kind of. Uh, put the uh, hammer on that one so I ended up in Spurvia just uh, again entrepreneurial started mowing lawns at 12 and uh, just built up a big business of mowing lawns and doing other things for people and that kind of got me uh, you know, working outside and doing things I like to do uh, nobody pushed me, nobody told me I had to go mow lawns, I just did it, and that, that got me that start. But, uh, later, uh, after I got out of high school, I went to work for a nursery greenhouse operation. And I knew what most people knew, I knew the difference between an apple tree and a pine tree. And then from there, uh, they within a couple of years, I was running the whole 13 acres of nursery, running five greenhouses, keeping 15 trucks and seven tractors on the road and uh, just running the whole show, and it really taught me an enormous amount of skills and thoughts that this is what I wanted to do. But uh, it was in the city, and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't happy being in the city. But all through that whole time of being there in my uh, 20s, I saved money. I didn't know why I was saving money, but I just thought, well, this will come in handy. And that really did when we started up the farm.
2: So I also grew up in suburbia. Um, I was one of four kids as well. And we traveled a lot. As I said, I did uh, grow up in Maine. Uh, part of my life, I was here for four years and then back for a year and a half uh, in Livermore Falls. My dad worked for an international paper company, so we traveled around Vancouver. I was born in Buffalo. But uh, I went to college, several different colleges, down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and in Ohio. I got a Bachelor of Science in Botany. I'd always loved plants. I'd love, always loved the outdoors. also had a minor in math. I just loved math. And um, and I love to travel, I think maybe that was partly because of as I grew up with my, my parents. So I've traveled in a lot of countries around the world. Actually dragged Paul with me to Europe a couple of times. And um, I was always a worker, or a workaholic actually I could probably say, because I always just wanted to be busy and wanted to be working. And again, I made a fair amount of money when I was young and I kept saving it. I invested, my dad taught me investing early on which was great. And I managed a garden center for 10 years um, up in the uh, Glens Falls area. And I also was a project coordinator for a development company. So I learned, my, my dad was an engineer. I knew, I knew a lot of skills. We built our own camp. So I was never afraid to be up on a roof and do, um, I didn't like electrical much. That's when I met Paul and he helped with the electrical and the projects that I worked for. Uh, so I met him at age 30. And my goal was always to be self-employed. I did not grow up thinking I'd be a farmer, uh, but when I met Paul, I was like, "Wow, farming—it does get me outdoors, and it does mean we can be self-employed and work for
1: ourselves." So it was—it uh, was a great fit for us. So I got to be about 27 years old, or 26 actually, and I said, "Okay, I don't know what it is I want to do, but I—staying at the nursery was not it, even though I loved working there," and I. Said, and my boss suggested that I take a trip out west. And so I, eh, okay. So I went at age 27, I just got got my truck and I just started going across the United States to see all the national parks. And I stayed at a farm in Iowa. And oh my gosh, it was bright in May and they're all planting and everything going on and suddenly after driving across Iowa and Nebraska, I thought, okay, that's what you wanna do, you want farm. And it was really hard to do the rest of the trip, because I wanted to turn around go so back and start because I really realized it. And, but I did the rest of the trip, and when I went to a uh, uh, friend's house in Michigan on uh, Friday, and he goes, well, you want to go with me to the farmer's market tomorrow morning? And I'm like, sure, and I didn't know farmer's markets existed and didn't know anything about them. And when I walked into that place, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to start a farm, raising vegetables, and I'm going to sell them at farmers markets. And just like blind, you know, having blinders on, that's that was my mission, and that's where I was heading. And so when I got back, I worked for a farmer, uh, vegetable farmer, and learned a lot of things and what not to do. And then then uh, started the next year in my father's backyard an acre and found that yep, I do love this, and I'm going to start looking for land. So that's where uh, you start. Sort of envisioning a dream of where I wanted to head and what I wanted to do, and one of the things that I wanted to have with my farm was what we had with that one weekend with that farm that I that uh, we would go up and see at my great uncle's was that we would come in for uh, you know dinner, which would be lunch. We call that today, and the table would be a full spread of everything that the farm grew and made. And there'd be all of us, all the workers together sitting down at a table, and I thought, I thought back to that. I said, that's what I want. I want my family home, and I want to do this. So the main thing I wanted was to be able to sit down with my family, and everything on the table was from the farm. So that vision pushed me on, and the farmer's markets was where I was going to head, and found out there were good ones around us. And But I also had this thought about staying small, but I still wanted to be full-time. I wanted to be profitable, and at that time in the uh, early eighties, or this our late eighties, early nineties. There was not many examples out there of small farms making it, and now you know you guys got a little easier that way, and we're just starting today. But uh, there was a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, pushback, but I had a can-do attitude, and I was just driven to succeed, just like I was mowing lawns. I, nobody told me to do go out and do this. But all the experts along the way were all telling me this was not going to work, especially extension. It was pretty negative at that point about it. were uh, told me papers of why this was never going to work. But I just, to me, I was just, get out of my way. I'm going this way. you know. And, and pretty soon it, 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 it did turn out to be fine, but there was not, you know, you, you really had to believe in yourself. So here we are. Uh, so in 86 I started out, and by uh, 87 I started finding land, and in 88 we closed on it. So here we are, uh, signed the papers, drove to the land I bought, it was about 40 acres we actually bought then, and I, we added 20 later. I just saw this piece of land and I said, this is it. It had good soils, it had a big stream, it had all the things that up there that are uh, important when you're looking for land. All those things are so important. But if, I'm going to realize, we will go back for a second. The, uh, can't really see it that well up there. Well, I can't see it. Do you have one? In front of the, uh, there's a power pole. You see it? Right there. That power pole is in the middle and you're going to start seeing that all the time during these photographs. And so you're going to be able to tell where you are. But why don't you realize this, when you start seeing buildings on this property, they're all the ones that we put there. This is what the property looked like when we, we moved in. Not a building, but we had electricity, which I thought was great. And uh, we had water and good soils. And this is a, 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 a nice slope. So we're at the far end, the south end of the property at this point. And the, okay.
2: and the house the house is gonna sit
1: up here. Yep. And the road
2: actually is through that hedgerow, and we've
1: actually cleaned that up a lot. So how did we get going on this? Well, what we had, uh, where I had, and Sandy had, just a host of skills that I had built uh, by working construction. By working for electricians, working for plumbers, and it just came along that way. Sandy had a lot of business savvy working for uh, business offices and could understand all that uh, book work, paper, you know, stuff that I was really good at. We both liked marketing, we both liked people, and so that really made a sense because that is the major job that farming is is marketing. And the family support well, here you are, you know, we're out of market, and what do you see? It's me. My stepmom and my daughter is kind of leaning over in the back there. But three generations, you know, going to a market, and that really appealed to people. But all of them also had hosts of skills that all helped get this farm up and going. So we're going to talk about how we built from that cornfield, you know, uh, and basically started from the ground up. So here we are putting some tile lines down, which came later, but it's still, you know, building a farm from the ground up. So So nothing.
2: So, this was uh, putting tile lines in. We have many different soil types on our farm. Uh, it's a glacial till, so we've got some sand, we've got uh, rocky silt loams, we've got clay. So, this was putting some tile lines in. And uh, everything is not glamorous on a farm, as you guys know. Somebody said uh, we should definitely not make it all a rosy picture. So, there's your unrosy picture of being in a trench on a rainy day. Uh, but we, we had the ability to take down some farms that were given to us for free. And, uh, and put them up. Uh, Paul's dad is up on the hill up there. Paul's dad was instrumental, and we're gonna talk about him a little bit later, in helping us get this farm up and going. He was just a tremendous support for us, uh, a great family member. Uh, he had built some houses, and so he had construction abilities. Actually, we all could do, uh, um, we had a lot of skills, as Paul said. And we, it was either time or money for us, and back then, Uh, We had some money, but we wanted to save it to farm up and going, and so we had a lot more time on our hands. So we could do this kind of stuff, take these barns down and put them them back up.
1: It was all about working in different places and putting your barns in a central location. I worked at places where they weren't, and I saw the effect, and I said, no, okay, I'm going to put mine right in the middle. There's that power pole again. And it made it easy then to hook up electricity, too. But the barns in our area, Slate... Granville is like 20 minutes away, and it's the slate capital of the world, and so yeah, it had slate roofs on it, and we kept going with it, but it also had the root cellar underneath it, so we're doing a whole host of planning, not knowing where this is going, but a lot of planning going on.
2: So we added, uh, we kept adding buildings. These are the two buildings that we took down and and put back up. These are the only two that we did get for free. Everything else that we've constructed has been buying materials and building them ourselves. So that first little building right there was the only heated area on the farm. You notice there's no house. So that was a little heated area that we used to put the attached greenhouse on. That was 1990, to give you a reference. And and this was 92, and this was the start of season extension for us. For those of you that have heard us speak, we speak a lot about season extension because we feel that that is probably one of the keys to, one of the major keys to our success as a farm is going year-round with a lot of season extension. And that little uh, triangular building in the middle—that's like, oh, let's try this. Will this work? Could we grow some spinach all year in this? You got to realize, back in the early '90s, I mean, not even Elliot Coleman was was doing a lot of this stuff. And so that was the start. It worked great, and then we started expanding uh, into into larger ones. And next to uh, next to Paul there, who was uh, actually uh, roto with a VCS, uh, there is a little. Brown puppy
1: there, so we had some labs uh, as we grew up. So we built up the barns that were there. There's the, our first washing station. Spent all $200 on it, putting a little roof over it, and having a little place to start uh, start washing. And there's a lot of things going on there. But then, you know, time went on. Uh, from '89 up, we were always looking at you know putting money back into the farm. We had some sales going on, started planting a bunch, and the markets and as our as our abilities to grow got better and more customers would come to the stand, we could make enough money and then we start always reinvesting as much as we could. So we kind of had a thing of putting 10000 back into the farm. And so that the uh, expanding the washing station was uh, one of the first order of business because we you know, really saw that that's where you're spending all your labor and making the big deal. And making it as efficient as we could by putting, uh, uh, putting the barrel washer in, you know, having the root cellar access, uh, having more storage ability, just uh, thinking about efficiency as much as we could. But it also made uh, everyone happier uh, because as we're pushing season extension, it was getting colder to get your hands in the water in May and October. So being able to close up and heat and also keep the sun off of things, was gotten, gotten big. So that, that kind of, the major expansion in 95, we spent all of $7,000 building that, ex- that, that uh, whole expansion. And so that kept within the ten thousand we were going to spend.
2: And he's not telling you this, but the real reason he did this because you know that old phrase: if Mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. And I don't like cold, so that was one of his, his uh, pushes to get this all enclosed and put some heat inside, so that if I was going to work out there in May and October, um, I had a warmer place to be. Uh, other buildings that kind of came along, and, and
1: all of these buildings came along, uh, you know, at a, at a rate that we could, uh, I'm not going to say borrow money, but get money and and pay for these things as we go, because we didn't take out loans for any of this stuff. We would get some 0% credit cards and, and make sure they were paid off or just cash flow as, as they were being built. But this is our first equipment shed that went up in 2004, and it was kind of funny because it did go up for two reasons, and one major one, which you're going to see in a minute, was the fact that somebody wanted horses. So they wanted a place for their horses and of course i wanted a place for my tractors so we both got it and the farm got to pay for it and so a famous thing paul
2: often tells people too is when i first met him i always said that i wanted a house a horse and a baby um nothing about i never added the husband in there but it it was (laughs) always assumed that it would be there so uh my daughter kim uh she was eight when she really um Wanted to get into horses, which was great for me because I'd always wanted a horse. And so here's the the two of us with our horses. And Kim joined the Pony Club and was in that for quite a few years. And that was a lot of work. And we had a, we had a great time, and she had a great horse. And uh, so that was another phase in our life. And, and and I and Paul was actually even on the horse once in a while. We would walk around the farm. If, if for those of you who walk your farm or you ride around on a golf cart or however you get around your farm. It's really different if you're like on horseback and just walking around and seeing things or just walking on foot, and uh, we really
0: enjoy doing that. You are listening to Common Ground Radio, and today's show is a recording of the keynote address at Mofka's 2018 Farmer to Farmer Conference. We are not taking calls on today's show. Thank you.
1: So... We got going along and uh, pretty much doing the same thing, but summer was a lot of work, off going up seven, eight acres of vegetables, and suddenly uh, the farmer's market started pushing way into the fall and also into the winter because we had a lot of people with eggs and meat and cheese, and so the market went year-round, and of course the customers looked at us and said, well, you are gonna be there, aren't you? <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, so we, that's what got us into doing some winter growing starting in 2006 and with that we built our first high tunnel uh that was a 30 by 144 and then in 2007-2008 2000, another one came along and another one came along in 2012 and said okay that's enough so these have all made a big difference in our how we grow things on our farm uh the summer production always gave us summer production of some kind tunnels have tomatoes and some have the cucumbers and zucchini and stuff like that for all for early and stuff. But we are mainly a winter grower. Uh, But we will fill the tunnels with some summer production. That's that's our main reason for having the tunnels, not the summer but the winter. So it's a really, uh, there's a lot of upfront capital to it, but in the end it's very profitable in that sense. And it also completely changed our summer stuff because we could drop down in what we are doing during the summer made that a little more sane. And if you look at what we did now, we did seven or eight acres of vegetable production and sold it all between May and, and November. Now we're doing just four acres and probably two, two and a half of that is in winter storage crops. So it's only like an acre and a half to two that we're actually doing any summer production. Much easier now.
2: And uh, this afternoon we have another talk. We're going to talk a lot more on the, the finances. But as we said, these high tunnels have been um, a real big thing for us, and they seem to be expanding everywhere. We've been visiting farms that have them, and it's and it's really it's really fun, and it's great to see uh, the expansion on this. Because as we when we started this back, uh, you know, quite a few years ago, it wasn't as popular. So now there's our NRCS grants. But each one of these tunnels um, cost us around thirty thousand dollars to build, and we um, could gross thirty thousand. Each year out of these tunnels, so it's a real fast payback. Um, and those both those shops were taken in the winter, December and January. Um, Some people have heavy coats on because it isn't really warm in there
1: all the time. Um, but uh, they, uh, they've been a, a big part of our farming life. So this also. Talk about winter growing but it also provides us with a lot of product going all the way into may which nobody has anything coming out of their farms out in the field out of may and here we are with large production in may and june until things get going outside it's made a huge difference in our farm we added off the end of that first shed that's what we call the shop which we're going to kind of use it for uh working on equipment and it never ended up being that because we needed a place to store all the sweet potatoes and winter squash that suddenly expanded with growing our, uh, our our winter markets. So now it's a heated area, <laughs> but uh, we were storing all the winter squash and sweet potatoes in our garage, so now it allowed us to move it into something a little bit better.
2: And in all my years of being in apartments and all of that, I can remember the day that we built the garage, and I called my mom, and I said, Mom, my car is in a garage. It was the first time in my life, and you know, I was like you know, 33, thirty34 Probably more than that, 35, so that was pretty great. And then when Paul took it over to put his squash and stuff in, I was like, okay, we got to do something about this. So I got my garage back.
1: Okay, so then finally we got to the point where, well, what happened was the farm we were, we were renting below us had barns. And a huge wind or something came along and actually knocked the barn off the foundation, and that was the end of us storing equipment down there. So we said, "Okay, we're going to have to build sheds for ours up here finally." And that's where we—that's where we built our last big building was then. The washing station. You get back to that. That was that nice, you know, that nice addition back in '95. But we've been doing little additions since then, and it's just been um, morphing into something a little better every time. Uh, This last expansion that we just had, uh, we really sat down and said, okay, do we want to expand on it and make it a little better, or do we just want to take a bulldozer to the whole thing and start over? Because, you know, you could see that... uh, Robert wanted the bulldozer approach, but we told him
2: he'd have to pay for it if he really wanted it. So we decided to just upgrade it and uh, put an addition on it.
1: But in 2010, we went to cement floors. We knew there was going to be food safety coming down, and it also made a lot of sense with efficiency. So we made some improvements in 2010, and then we finally made some larger ones uh, in 2016. This is a you know a shot inside now, which you know the, the cooler came inside and the doors came inside, and you see those little heaters and uh, you know, uh, heaters in there. And, Everybody, you know, because winter growing got to be very big for us and you needed to make it easy for your workers. And so we want to make them happy and uh, warm and want to be there forever. That that really makes a difference. Where did we live once we started this thing? You know, that's the buildings of the farm because that got to be the most important thing. Well, along about uh, 90, I wanted to stay there most of the time, so here we are. Uh, Sandy happened to co-own a um, camper. And so that's what I lived in during the summer. She <laughs> would stay there in the summer until it started getting cold in the fall, and that was it. You know, that's what we had there, We rented to the apartment. So we moved in around for two summers. We lived in a pop-up camper.
2: First of all, it was really easy to clean.
1: Yeah, I that. So then in 91, we got married in the fall of 91 and started building our house. And then in May of 92, we moved in. But this is where the skills of all of us came together to build this house. And you know, I learned things like right there, learning to put slate on, because that's what we wanted the house to be, long-term, no maintenance, but also to, uh, to make it look like the farm had always been there. This is the kind of the architecture of the area. So in 97, 96, we started this uh, expansion because our family was growing and also we wanted to have housing for interns and sandy monitor garage. So we, more than double the size of the house and did that over a winter and of course like any house construction
2: you get so far and then it's over the years you kind of finish it as you go. It was I can't remember how many years we had scaffolding up around the house but I you know the morning glories every year would like climb all the way to the top and so it was a very long process to build the house. Uh we did, uh, we did not, as Paul had mentioned, we didn't really borrow money to uh, to build the house. We just kind of did it as we went along. And so it definitely took a while. As a matter of fact, it's, uh, it's, a, it's interesting because the year that we finished this was 2006. So we spent 14 years putting this slate roof on. You can see it was a complicated slate roof for any of you that know slate. It was four colors and random width. And uh, that's my daughter, Kim, up there. We did homeschool our two children. And so she was the liaison for the slate, getting it all the way to the top. And so she had a lot of time in between to do some of her schoolwork while she was up there. And she was always the one hanging upside down off the scaffolding and all of that, making mom nervous. But um, we did finally finish it. And I will say the the only reason we were able to finish this is because we had Nate and Gabrielle on our farm. You guys probably know them from Six River Farm. And they were just... Amazing interns, and we basically just kept dumping responsibility on them. And I think even on his website, he still mentions us. And we're just like, yes, let's just keep dumping stuff on them. And uh, so they were basically running our whole farm. And so in the fall, we started on this working the slate on the roof because typically what happened is we're farming all the way till the end of October um, into early November. And then you start working on the slate, and if you know slate, you can't get up there when it's really cold and when it's really snowy and it's really icy And you know, upstate New York. Um, that's a lot. So we were so thrilled to put those last couple pieces of slate up on there, and we thank Gabrielle for that.
1: So here we are, finally completing this house in 2009. We did have to hire some people to finish <laughs> putting trim on. And, and now, we're, that. now we're fixing things and replacing windows and things like
2: that, so yeah, they're... And I've always loved flowers. We have done a few cut flowers in markets, but it wasn't ever our forte. But I do love flowers. I have about 300 feet of perennial gardens around the house. And uh, they're, uh, they're a joy to me, although they are a lot of work trying to keep them all
1: weeded. You know, the diversity of crops that we grew Gave us a stable income every year, and the fact that you know winter might do not go so well, but summer always did, and so whatever was going on that year was always uh, you know brought out a uniformity of our income that made it uh, very stable, and, and famous this allowed us to get ahead in places of uh, maybe extending out and doing large per- things like putting out a big additions to the house. Yeah, when people visit us, I think
2: usually the first thing they say is, "Wow, what a view you have." You know, colors in the fall because um, we can see the sunrises and the sunsets and uh, so we do mostly vegetables uh, fruits and herbs not a lot of fruits we have um, large some large fruits in an orchard and uh, we do blueberries raspberries oh, no, we don't have raspberries anymore but um, strawberries and about 30 to 40 vegetable varieties and so little bits of, uh, of lots of different things that's that one acre field outside uh, looking out from the
1: house. A lot of it was just packing stuff in, because I didn't want to get bigger, I just wanted to make more use of the land. Uh, planting for the long term. It's crops that we only put in more kind of perennial type crops, and we figured out things. Like, there's the apple trees when they're first getting planted, and we don't do as much with the apples anymore. In fact, we're more into pruning at the base at the moment with them. <laughs> and the asparagus kind of came and went, uh, and we haven't gotten back to it the blueberries are still a really good crop for us. So some things we put in and then have said hmm. Tools and equipment, started out with, like everybody else, you didn't have a lot of money, so you start out with something small, and that uh, VCS in the top right was our first big purchase, and that we worked that until 97, doing up to four acres with that thing, and then got into tractors. Our cedars, you know, started with the earthquake, and then went on to other, the yang now. We still do a lot of the, hand hoeing with bushings like that. And we still use those wheelbarrows. So even though some of these things were starting out, we still find use for some of the small stuff because of how we do it. Tractors. Uh, yep, started out with older tractors like usual. Uh, we still have, the only tractor up there that we have still is that Farmall 200. Uh, but didn't spend a lot of money on those and either made money when we sold them or, or broke even. Uh, yeah, things we had to sometimes bought uh, hay wagons and then built the, built them on top of there. But this was this is the thing that we were just getting into and uh, our, our understanding is my dad being there all the time. You know, you're a farmer and you're really doing urgent things, doing all kinds of uh, putting out fires, just making sure everything's you know, picked and planted and going along. But when you can make things that will make your life easier, you need a person almost, another person to do that. And when you have somebody as handy as my dad was, uh, he was always. We would have ideas of how to put up an irrigation system, and he would do it. And then it would save us an hour a day. And this is the kind of things he did on our very early years to get us up and going. Uh, his, he always wanted to farm his whole life. So when I started the farm, it was just like second childhood to him. And he retired early and just started working on the farm six days a week and loved it. Uh, he didn't want to be in charge. He just wanted to come and have fun and, and go home, and that's what he did. And so, But he did all the important stuff that really got us up and going as fast as possible. And he was versed in building a rough sawn barn to a fine piece of, of, of uh, furniture. He could do it all.
2: When we bought the land, it had been in conventional corn for about 30 years, and it needed to get the organic matter up. It was only uh, 1.2%. And we had to get it all in balance and transition it to organic. And one way we did that was uh, using mulch. We chopped it with a vanilla chopper. We actually spread it out by hand. And that was the start of, say, a, a really important time for us to learn uh, organic agriculture and building the soils. And it, so we are still big proponents of, of using the mulch. We have transitioned to doing some biotallum corn-based plastic that we can can use, and that's one reason we do stay CNG certified. They do allow that, even though the organic standards don't at this point, or we use uh, the paper. And so we did uh, get a bigger tractor there, we traded out that that old uh, Farmall 400, and we got water wheels, which you can see we're still (coughs) doing a lot of mulch, and uh, this is our favorite thing because we don't throw bales around anymore. You just stuff it in there and then turn it on and then spreads it spreads it for you. That would be spreading across a field uh, like for garlic or something. Annual bed strawberries, again, it's, a big, it's it's not a huge crop for us, but boy, it's what our customers love. So we've, we've always been instrumental in starting trying new systems. This was a system we heard about at a conference. It's the annual bed system like they do in California, so we were kind of the leaders of doing that, and it's a great system for us. Irrigation. Again, a profitable endeavor, that was back in 1991. We knew we had to have some water. We're gonna talk a little bit about that this afternoon because that was a big uh, financial jump for us once we figured out that really how much water we really needed. Uh, we have a lot of high value crops. We seed every week or every other week, depending on what it is, and it's really important to have water on it. So we learned that early on. And I think one of the big things for us and what we love to do is we love to feed the community. And we do that, mostly uh, through farmers markets.
1: Yeah, this is a, an early shot with myself and my dad. And of course we had to bring the dog along and then you kind of find out that you're not supposed to bring dogs <laughs> <laughs> to the market. But it was always a good picture. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was just great to see customers and to see their reactions. And it, we've made so many friends over the years. Uh, but you know, learning marketing, and sometimes you know it's from other places we see, but it's also, uh, constantly evolving and changing. Uh, here we are, my first year farming over there on the left. I was in well, boy you can see we made a lot of uh, improvements when we got to the right side. You know, having a skirt, having a tablecloth, having shelves, having, you know, just everything looking clean and neat. But, uh, you know, feeding folks every week of the year, this is, you know, our tables. And, you know, and realize that the shot on the left, that's, that's May. Okay, I gotta tell it, because there's rhubarb right on the bottom corner. We only have rhubarb in May. So that's what our table looks like. Most of that's coming out of the out of the uh, tunnels, but we always have table fulls of stuff. So that's May, and all the way over there is the end of uh, Thanksgiving, it's, uh, November for Thanksgiving market. and we probably have a 30-foot table full of stuff. And, and so we, we're one of the smaller growers in our... <laughs> acreage-wise in our farmer's markets, but we have the largest displays, and so the people who come to the market think that we're the biggest growers.
2: This is what we look like inside now. We just moved in on Saturday. That was our first indoor winter market. Both our markets move indoors, uh, and uh, actually our kids ran both of those, and they said they went well. People were happy to get inside because it was cold.
1: Okay, so this is what's made our farm go, is and, and having all these people around us that have wanted to help us get this up and going, and believing in what we're doing, uh, my mom passed away in her fifties, and my dad got remarried to this uh, lovely gal here, Ann, and she became grandma to our kids, and she was there right with us. She was, he was a farmer's daughter, and so she knew what she was getting into, and. Uh, but, so she was like uh, their grandma, and then when she uh, she would come three days a week and help us out. She would babysit the kids for three days a week, she would do all the laundry, clean the house, get, get meals ready, and, but then she would go to market, and do all the sewing, and just, and it was great just having her around the kids, because then the kids saw everyone. And so this really became where, again, what did I want out of my life? I wanted to have my family there. <laughs> so this really was uh, an important thing, and she was, she also
2: had a great sense of humor, so we really enjoyed having her.
1: The interesting part is that not only did she come into our family, but you know, here we are, we, I have three brothers, but she has seven kids. So now there was 11 of us, and one of the great things is we all like each other, and it's been a great, great time. My dad? Well... You know, he was always there for us, and he worked a lot when we were little. And I think he just gave us—he was a good example—and he gave us all, uh, all four of us, became achievers uh, of what we wanted to do. Uh, but he really wanted to farm and, and, and joined right on to the team. But he yes, had many, many, many skills, and he could build anything. He was also one of our best marketers. He loved people. He was our fastest harvester, just leading everyone and how much he could do uh but for me it was, he was my best friend uh you know we went beyond just being father and son uh he passed away in 99 on the farm uh, but it was just uh what an amazing thing to get this farm up and going uh as quickly as he did and Anne
2: is still ann is still with us she did move up to Plattsburgh to be closer to a bunch of her family she's like 87 now i think um she's actually down at the, down at our house right now she came down to visit the kids uh, we're not there, so she'll go and do a little lottery. Still, of course, still very active, uh, and, a, and a great, um, a great blessing uh, for
0: that. Today's Common Ground radio show is a recording of the keynote address at MoFCA's 2018 Farmer to Farmer Conference. Paul and Sandy Arnold are giving the address and talking about the development of Pleasant Valley Farm in Argyle, New York, over the past 30 years. We are not taking calls on today's show. Thank you.
1: Oh, so here we are. <laughs> oh, young kids. In Ninety-one. 91. We got married. Uh, Sandy, we've, uh, we met in '89. She wanted to get married before me, but I was like, uh, "We need to wait another year or so because I'm farming and I want to farm, and you, you better want to farm too because I'm not the <laughs> <owner>. <laughs> So you know, you got to know what you're getting into. So yeah,
2: and we just felt that you know, especially now that we've raised our kids, a you know, farm is the greatest place to raise children. It's just, it has so many advantages,
1: and uh, we're going to run through some of the, the things that we really love about farming here. So, yeah, here we are with our son, and he, got, he was born in November, so we had all winter to uh, get him, you know, organized, and, and us organized with having a kid before spring hit, and he spent a lot of time with us and that was the great thing. We were we had gone on to full-time farming at that point. We did not work off the farm once he was born. And so we were always there for him and, and uh, doing everything with him. Even though we were always working, he knew where we were and would and come out and spend time. So yeah, start teaching him young. He loved equipment like any boy and uh, would spend his time sitting on a tractor. He was a great uh, babysitter, just sitting up, the, up there and has come on to the fact that now he's one of my best operators. Uh, but yeah, starting to work ethic, we always say to kids, um, if they can walk, they can work. So they would start like, setting the table, uh, helping see things, whatever they could do. And they were always proud to show people what they could do. So uh, you know, I think you instilled in that, that uh, self-worth of look what you can do. So any construction, they were always right there involved being able to uh, help and learn just by watching and doing scenes. So they never get, uh, they're not scared of anything happening. Kim was born uh, Christmas in December. Again, uh, it was a good timing, and she uh, we got her uh, up and going, And but she has always been a go-getter of wanting to do it. Her favorite saying is, I can do it. So there she is, you know, they are uh, grandma's got a birthday and they're all there and this is what the great thing about having the family around and having that uh, full-time farming you know where I want to go and do and to have them right there with us all the time
2: uh, you know everybody asks us you know how do you get your kids involved well they they were just there we didn't give them a choice we they didn't get up in the morning we said do you want to come out and help us we said come on you're gonna help us you can do this this or this so that's been I think uh, key to us with, with our kids
1: they always did a lot
2: of the seeding, and uh, they're they're up there trimming apple trees. So if you, you
1: they're having fun, children.
2: Yeah, they had fun with whatever they did, and they didn't work all day, of course. But they they had homeschooling to do. But they had homeschooling to
1: do, right? Um, but the other thing that made it good was we were in the, um, uh, the homeschool network. And with that homeschool network became friends and so nothing better than to have friends over and they would plant a little bit of spinach and have a good time together and talk and, and, and then go do things themselves. So and then new pieces of equipment were always, you know, kind of enamored and so they always wanted to be involved and all that stuff. So they were always, you know, pretty uh, pretty, pretty good with that stuff. And I said my uh, my father only gave me uh, three words of advice raising children. He wasn't good at, you know, always giving advice that was unsolicited, but he, he gave me these three words, don't ask, tell. <laughs> so yeah, we didn't tell, ask them, do you want to go out and help? It was always, we're going out to work today, do you want to work in the washing station or hardest? <laughs> it wasn't no working, it was one or the other. So these are the kind of things they were all experienced. Uh, here they are, there's a science experiment right there. We were able to raise a whole bunch of monarch butterflies one year, some and so there's all these things that they found fascinating, we had a, a milk cow one year, that was yes, one year, that was it <laughs> and yeah, it had a calf and it became Kim's calf it, it became a nightmare <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we've always raised ducks or chickens or something and they were always involved in them and then they were also involved in the evisceration act. And and this is what it's about. I mean there are that she's taking care of they're all involved in the evisceration of chickens and putting them all away and they, they saw the value in it. They, they they couldn't stand to see her animals hurt, but when it came to, you know, harvest day that was that was it. That was that was what they were there for. But this is one thing I wanted to do with the with the farm. Uh, we built a house that was larger But I didn't build it so that we could be by ourselves. I've always wanted to have people coming and sharing, and we do have a lot of people always coming and visit the farm and staying overnight and everything else. So, uh, yeah, big gathering, all the food on the tables from the farm. That's just wonderful moments. That's actually the Compatrick
2: family uh, at our table there. So you just had to invite one family with them and you had a full table. It was about
1: five, they had seven kids, and yeah, we thought. Mark, Kilpatrick was a great farmer. I think he's probably been here before too. So, making friends for our kids, you know, all these friends were, were coming and they were working on the farm, and this became their social time. Was, was there, and then that was done. Here we are with all the workers, uh, having us having a breakfast one morning. It was just beautiful out in the backyard. And, and then I don't have the picture
2: over here, I was going to add it in, but on the back there, we, we now have a, a deck. We built a big deck. My daughter, when she graduated from high school, well, my son graduated from high school, we homeschooled, and he didn't want to party, so he had some things with friends. My daughter invited 150 people to come to a graduation party, so I said, okay, it's time I get my deck.
1: Our employees have really, uh, I say, enriched our lives. They've brought so many things to us and become long, lifelong friends, and, and people, we just love it when people have stopped by. And say, I used to work for you back in 94, you know, uh, and it's just a great thing. We keep track of a lot of them. Equipment has always been, you know, you acquire equipment as you go along, but, you know, in order to keep a young boy always happy in what was going on with the farm, you just got to give him something for the motor. So, yeah, we got golf carts, and that became his, and he would do anything as long as he was sent in the golf cart. He actually paid for half of that. He really
2: wanted a go kart, and we talked him into a golf cart, and so we told him we'd pay half if he got the... Got a golf cart, so he realized that he could drive it every single day. So he still
1: zips around on that. And the kids all got excited when they got old enough to run a piece of equipment, like their own, running the potato planter. because she was always annoyed that she couldn't pick up those levers when you got to the end of the room. Uh, so the joys of harvesting, you know, as it all a bunch of homeschool kids would come and uh, they would have a good time working together and, and, and just. Uh, you know, the harvest got done, and we gave them ideas of how to get done quickly. And so there they are. Uh, that shot in the wintertime is, yes, we're heading up to the tunnels to pick. Uh, it's snowing to meet the band. We don't have a piece of equipment that was out and running at the moment. And so they all went up in sleds and, and uh, crates and went up and harvested in the tunnels. It was perfectly fine. But, you know, this is what they do together. And so this is where the great fun is. So the
2: last few weeks, we've been trying to get the last of our carrots out of the field and. As you know, it's been raining, so um, I meant to pull up a shot here, and I have some previous ones. But you guys must know that feeling of everybody in their rain suits just being covered in mud, and uh, that's that's what we've been. That's an undercutter bar there on the left, uh, years ago with the kids on it that we still use to um, pop the carrots off. We don't have a big uh, carrot digging machine, so it pops them up, but you still have to sit there and take them all apart. So. Uh, being all kind of muddy and stuff people usually have a nice smile on their face they still have fun in the mud
1: so yeah that, that, are they working or are they playing that's what always has to be fun Robert could drive the tractor he's not working and as I was say Kim is always the worker so yeah, she's the one out there picking up rocks so <laughs> uh, you guys aren't the only ones with rocks and me. <laughs> we have plenty of them yeah and so you know the
2: kids you send them out and it's like well she's probably eating more than she's harvesting but you know you know, I take the good and the bad, and they're up in the apple the apple tree. They always like picking the apples and tossing them to each other. But we've always been really happy to be home on our farm year-round. Uh, of course, we do, do some traveling, but just to be there with the kids, we've always said that um, we like to have, uh, t- you know, out of the week, you know, we were, for, during the winter, we could eat every meal, 21 meals a week. We would eat together. In the summertime, we would miss Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings, and that's it. So for the most part, growing up, uh, my kids had meals with us, and we still try to keep that tradition as much as we can. Uh, accomplishments. I mean, there's just so many things. Robert likes the flowers, too. Kim likes the flowers, so they can pick. And uh, Anything they do, they just seem to have a real accomplishment. Yeah. Here
1: they are. One thing they always like to do is they get new employees that they like to be the ones telling them how to do things. So, you know, he like said, it gives them a lot of self-esteem and they're, they like to be in charge of them and, and tell them what to do and, <laughs> and they get amazed. So it builds, you know, builds some real good stuff. And Kim is
2: the farm uh, manager of the Washing Station still. This is at the market. The kids uh, do the market. Kim runs the Glen Falls Market now, but the kids have always been instrumental in helping us at the markets. Robert was always my stocking person and he ran the market yesterday uh, for us. And this is I love this because this was I can do anything and that's really their attitude. We've instilled that in, in that, we've instilled that in our workers, we instill it in other farmers. I know for some of you that we've been to your farms we're always like, Yeah, you can do this. You can you can make it happen if you've got the if you've got the right things, if you've got the marketing, if you've got, you know, some of those skills you can make it happen. So this was us putting solar up. And we worked with a company that allowed us to kind of be the general contractors to do uh, uh, much of it. And so when it came to building the racks, putting the racks together and getting them up there, you know, my kids were right up there doing it. actually, Kim, um, they laid underneath and were putting some of the wires on. The guy said, oh, they can do that here. Plug it in there. Do this. And uh, they really enjoyed working with them. And, uh, you know, there's Robert. uh, A little too short to run some of this, but he was always there working great along with the new interns and uh, showing them how to do it. So, interns always got to kick
1: out of them. You know, we always have a lot of family that are visiting. I said we found seven new family members at one time. And then, uh, but also we give lots of tours of the farm, you know, whether uh, schools or, or uh, extension and or or uh, just people coming by to see other farm tours. It always makes it fun.
2: We were the farm aide. farm aide came to Saratoga Springs. We were uh, the farm that they did the tour on for that. So that was really special for us. And of course, Life is all about having time for your family and having fun. So we are known for having fun. We just, we work really, really hard on our farm. It's, it's not always easy. Paul gets up usually at 4.30 every morning and we're lucky if we, he gets to bed by 9.30 at night. And it is long days. And I think part of, for us, is we just love getting up every morning and doing what we do. It isn't work. It's, it's fun. It's what we've chosen to do. It's not for everybody. And we tell that anybody that starts working here, we're like, okay, farming's not for everybody. If you don't like this, give us a two-week notice. Because we want people here that are really having fun. So we've had to just you know, go to employees and say, you know, don't think you're really having a good time here. You know, you come in late, you don't seem happy. So that's, I think, a big part of, you know, what we do with our farm and try to instill that. But the kids had a Little treehouse there that uh, Grandpa helped build. And uh, we uh, have a pond down below that uh, we've done skating. Uh, my kids love to skate. Uh, we definitely enjoy the seasons. Uh, we cross country ski. Uh, we can toboggan. And uh, of course, on those cold, snowy days or whatever, it's just great to stay inside and enjoy being in there looking out that window the fire. Actually, the cats enjoy the fire as much as the rest of us do. And uh, Paul can take his, his nap there when he sits in the chair. And we love birds, so we have a lot of bird feeders and hundreds and hundreds of birds there that we can watch and enjoy. We're fortunate for our house. We can see the sunrises and we can see the sunsets. The sunsets, of course, are more dramatic in the, in the winter when the leaves are down. And uh, so I think that's, sees a lot more of the sunsets than I do. I don't always get up, or sunrises. I don't always get up that early in the morning. And, of course, the you know, the beauty on our farm is, I think it's just something, we, try, we keep our farm up. We try to keep it looking nice as best we can because I think it gives us a feeling of accomplishment. And uh, we get a lot of rainbows over the valley. And I think it's just always inspirational. I always think about that when it drops down in the field. It's kind of the pot of gold.
1: Yeah, hard work pays off. We, when we're working on the farm, we work hard, and we work long hours, but we get away. So since we, before we started doing winter growing, if we could get away for two weeks, that was about it. Once we started winter growing, our average is three to six weeks vacation a year. And, And it's allowed us to do more because obviously there's positive cash flow, 52 weeks a year, and there's also, a crew that's polished and know what to do year round, and we don't need to be there all the time. So it's also allowed us to take vacations in the summer, in the fall, in the winter, whenever we want to take a vacation. It doesn't doesn't really get, it ham- get hampered by that.
2: So we've given you a little bit of a scenario here of what life as a farmer is through our eyes, and uh, I hope some of you can see some of the fun and inspiration that it has been for us to uh, go forward. So Kim uh, and Peyton, Peyton was an intern on our farm for two years, and they got married September 2nd on our farm. So yes, that threw a little chaos into our farming, as we always have a lot of things going on. But it was on our farm. Um, it was definitely a Kim wedding, for those of you who know Kim. She wanted the, the wedding uh, as she wanted. and We have two Bertrand horses that are boarded on our farm, so she came in on a horse, horse and carriage with the bridesmaids down the driveway, uh, so we've added family, and Kim and Peyton have an interest in taking over Pleasant Valley Farm. Kim has been basically running it since she was three, so uh, I think it's a, it's a good fit, and we're going to strive to preserve it and uh, to continue Pleasant Valley Farm on to the next generation.
1: <coughs> yeah, Peyton is uh, one of nine. I think you're probably noticing there. Yeah, that, that was his year, family, so family. that a whole lot of family.
2: And they were also homeschooled, and uh, they're doing a fantastic job running the farm and uh, working <coughs> along with us. So we're looking into that transition stuff over the next 10 years and starting some, getting uh, some people in to help us talk on <coughs> that transition and how that might work. So we, we don't feel we can have this lifestyle if we weren't farmers. You're, you know, farmers, you know, you, you can't take time off. I mean, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you really have to make allocations to do it, and it doesn't always run real smooth. The summer ones are tough. We did Alaska in the summer, and uh, so that was a little harder. But you have to have good interns and just people that are going to back you up and just just do it. It's great to get away. So we feel it is really the greatest job on God's earth is to be is to be farmers.
0: This is Common Ground Radio, and today's show has been a recording of the keynote address from MoFCA's 2018 Farmer to Farmer Conference, held on November 5th, 2018, at the Point Lookout Conference Center in Northport, Maine. The keynote speakers were Paul and Sandy Arnold of Pleasant Valley Farm in Argyle, New York, and Paul and Sandy titled this address as Best Job on Earth. Uh, in the last few minutes of the show, I wanted to make listeners aware of a couple upcoming events. So on January 15th, it is Mofka Day at the Maine Agricultural Trade Show, which is at the Augusta Civic Center uh, in Augusta, Maine. And Mofka offers free presentations and discussions on organic agriculture, all of which are free and open to the public. No pre-registration is required, and MOFCA staff and committee members will be available to answer questions about other events and programs. Also, MOFCA members are encouraged to attend the association's annual meeting, which is from 1.30 to 3 p.m. that afternoon, which is again on January 15th at the uh, Augusta Civic Center, and more information could be found on the MOFCA website at mofga.org. And then another piece is that there are a series of winter grower meetings planned for later uh, this winter in February. But I just wanted to put a little a feeler out there to be on the lookout for meetings uh, in New York County and Aroostook County, as well as Ellsworth and uh, Sangerville. So please keep a lookout for those annou- announcements coming through through MOFCA. Um, But we are getting towards the end of the show, the final minute here, and uh, you've been listening to Common Ground Radio. I'd like to thank Amy Brown for engineering the show. I am your host, C.J. Walk, uh, and Common Ground Radio is brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, which can be heard at 10 a.m. on the first Friday of every month. So thanks again, and stay tuned for On the Wing.